Welcome to NatSec Tech, a podcast from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I'm Jean Meserve, and it's great to have you with us. Before we begin this episode, a note, at the beginning of July, the Special Competitive Studies Project announced the third annual Global Emerging Technology Summit. Visit scsp.ai to register Also, right after Labor Day, SCSP will release six memos on generative AI. Each memo will cover a specific area for the need to adopt generative AI for economic, societal, and national security purposes. Stay tuned for six days of AI in September. And now, NatSec Tech. Technology infuses our everyday lives. We use it to navigate, we use it to shop, to answer questions, now to even help us write. But is technology being used as effectively as it could be and should be in the military sphere? In this episode of NatSec Tech, we're going to explore that question with two guests. Let me now introduce them. Lieutenant General John Jack Shanahan, retired from the US Air Force in 2020 after 36 years of service. Among his many roles, he was the first director of Project Maven and the first director of the DOD Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. He currently serves as a senior advisor to SCSP's defense panel and contributed to developing the Offset X strategy that continues to guide their work. Also with us, Lieutenant General Michael S. Gruen. He served 36 years in the U.S. Marine Corps before his retirement. From 2020 to 2022, Lieutenant General Gruen served as the second director of the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. He also is a senior advisor to SCSP's defense panel and contributed to the Offset X strategy. It is great to have you both with us here this morning. Thanks, Gene. Thanks, Gene. Great to be with you. I listen to every one of your podcasts for SCSP, and they're all terrific. So thank you for doing it. Oh, well, great. I hope everybody out there in listener land is uh, paying attention to every episode as well. And thank you for the compliment. Um, First, I want to ask you two for a couple of definitions. You both led something called the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. Can you lay out exactly what this is? Uh, So let me just very quickly go back to the beginning of Project Maven, where it was the first real project by the Department of Defense to try to put AI-enabled capabilities into the field. All the military services had been working on AI, doing various projects with AI, but there really wasn't much that was out in the operational world. When we say operational world, all the military services and around the world with the combatant command. So that was that was our attempt to move forward with AI for intelligence purposes, what we call intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance. And it was almost a trial to see how, how we did. Um, and we proved enough value that out of that, the Secretary of Defense and the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Bob Work at the time, said, okay, we're convinced there has to be something else. And there was a long discussion um, about what that something should look like, who should run it, where it should be, how it should be positioned. And that became eventually the Joint AI Center. So think of Project Maven of AI for Intelligence, and then the Joint AI Center or the Jake AI for everything else in the Department of Defense, from back office functions to outer space, to cyberspace, to warfighting operations, finance, medical everything else in between. So the organization started really from from nothing, four people, and as I say, no money, no place to work out of. And then by the time Mike took over from me, we had 150 people, a $1.4 billion, four or five year budget in a nice place to work out of. But it, it was all about delivering AI capabilities in an operational, not in a research and development. And I'll 
turn it over to Mike. Well, Mike, let me ask you, because you both worked on the Offset X strategy, what is that? So, so the Offset X strategy is now a look at uh, you know, our convention, conventional defense processes, technology, capabilities, and to look at like what impact does emerging technology like artificial intelligence and others, like what impact that does that really have on how the force fights, right? Like how do we do things better? What opportunities does this provide us for, for transformation? I think transformation is like such an important word here because transform, if you think about it, means the form changes, right? And so what that means is we can do things in different ways. And we can find ways to optimize our operations, to integrate them better, to do things faster, to do things, maybe putting machines in places so that, you know, humans can have a, you know, a, a better cognitive span of control. So, so, like, there's enormous opportunity here in transformation. I think the initial investment in the Jake was a recognition that there was something transformational going on. Now, you know, four years later, now we are really in the throes of implementation. Like, how do we actually, you know, get this, these machines moving? And implementation is really hard, but frankly, implementation is the only metric that matters. And so we can talk about AI all day long, but are we actually doing it is the real question. Right here, right now, is the military leveraging technology to the degree it should? Jack, why don't you take that first? So I think the, the, there are encouraging signs, but I have to answer the question in a, in a somewhat pessimistic view. That no, not enough of it. And, and Mike and I, even if we had not actually talked before this, this, this interview, we would have come in with the exact same word that he used, which is implementation. It does need to move much faster. We've, we've done pretty well over the past few years getting faster, doing better pilot projects, doing little individual things that work fairly well. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but we learn a lot from them. Now this is about implementation at scale across the entire department. And it goes beyond this. The focus tends to be like the lamp drawn, uh, the moth draw to the lamp is on the technology itself. I say the technology is the tip of the iceberg. What we're really concerned about is the other 90% of the iceberg that's below the waterline. All the things that have to be fixed in the department and through the National Security Enterprise to make AI really work, which is everything from the information architecture, how you actually build a data management pipeline, how you do this thing called continuous delivery. Once you have an AI system built, how do you deliver updates to it? How do you make culture change? How do you do education and training? So it is easy to focus just on the technology. We're doing a lot there. We're seeing real signs of, of, of you know, progress in the technology, but the department knows it has a lot more to do just on all the other functions that are so critical to make AI work in the field. Mike, you've talked about using technology to knit systems together. There's more integration across DOD. Talk to us about why you think that's important. And I'd like to know whether it creates more risk to some degree. Yeah, great, great question, Gene. And just to build on Jack's comments, I mean, you know, the Implementation is so so difficult, and one of the one of the reasons I think it is is what I I think we have a vitamin I deficiency, I being imagination, right? We you know this is I think a lot of people perceive this technological adaptation, technological transformation as well. We'll just adopt this technology called AI, and it'll all be fine. 
And, and what that misses is this is much more about process transformation. How do we do things? How do we think about how we connect capabilities together? How do we do things in intelligence so that we realize and recognize things faster? We recognize patterns. How do we make decisions better? How do we distribute logistics across a vast theater better? Like these are, these are things that industry is using artificial intelligence to do every single day. But in the Department of Defense, we still kind of perceive this as a tech, a tech adoption challenge. That's not the problem. The problem is we haven't thought through what process transformation looks like. And so as a result, there's a lot of good thinking, you know, uh, people that are, they're, that are trying to come up with ways, you know, how do we make the acquisition process faster? How do we, you know, how do we get this platform built quicker? And, and those, are, those are not bad things, but they miss the target. They miss the real problem. And that is we haven't got the imagination for how this could really enhance our capabilities. Answer the risk question for me. I'm just wondering if you have everything knit together, if there's a single point of failure, couldn't that be catastrophic? You know, it's kind of the nature of the department that, you know, every service, you know, quickly, you know, goes down their stovepipe. I mean, one of the Im implementation uh, challenges that we have is like, what what's the best way to implement AI? Is it bottom up where you build little algorithms out on the edge somewhere and eventually they all start to grow together? Or is it top down where you build like a centralized enterprise and then you push out applications to the edge? So to get to your, your question, Gene, so we, we, haven't, we haven't reached that case yet. But when you think about it, like the, you know, the possibilities here, this, this is, for example, like using artificial intelligence to, you know, assess overhead imagery to identify airplanes on a runway. And if you can identify airplanes on a runway, then you can tell if the number changes from day to day or if there's a different type of airplane at a runway. So 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 this is not, you know, this is not a command and control. This is just an algorithm counting airplanes on an, on a runway and telling a human there are there's one more airplane on this airfield than there was yesterday. And, and then you can extrapolate to thousands of use cases that where machines can just tee up cognitive recognition for humans. Our human brains can only handle so much cognition at one time. If you can now use machines to help add additional layers of cognition so that humans can make good decisions, I, I don't see that as risk. I see that as, um, as productivity. I see that as acceleration and integration. I see that as ways that we can faster make better decisions so that our young men and women in uniform aren't in harm's way. I think that is the metric, right, that, that we should be applying to this. You both know that there's a lot of worry about the use of artificial intelligence, particularly in regard to weapon systems and whether we can ensure that that humans will remain in charge. Um, can we do that? Do we have the guardrails? Do we have the ethics rules that we need to make sure the machines don't take over? Jack? Yeah, Gene, it's, it really is an important question. and and. The approach we took with Project Maven and then when we started the Jake was the same approach with starting with what I would call lower risk, lower consequence cases, like predictive maintenance. Important, very important. But if it went wrong, it was very low consequence and low risk. And then what we learned from that began to build up into sort of more consequential, potentially higher risk use cases. But all of that 
is always going to be framed in the U.S. Department of Defense. And I can speak for some other countries, but let's just talk about the U.S. Department of Defense by the things that have been placed forever on our weapon systems. Now, we came up with DOD AI ethics principles, which I think are very good, including an implementation plan, which to put some what I, you call guardrails. I think that's a pretty good framing reference to say, we're going to do it in this way. Like we've done every other weapon system, we will adhere to the law of armed conflict, international humanitarian law, rules of engagement. That doesn't change. And the Department of Defense has put out something called, I'll use a term here, 3000.09. It's a directive called Autonomy and Weapon System. To this day, remains the only document that I know of, of any military in the world at the unclassified level, very clearly saying this is what the Department of Defense will do if we use autonomous systems and, to go a step further, AI-enabled autonomous systems. So uh, there is a, a, a healthy debate outside the military that people want to assume the worst case of the U.S. military. Mike and I would tell you with 100% assurance, one, we won't get everything right all the time, but the entry point is we have a very high bar that we will always set with weapon systems, and AI-enabled weapon systems will cause us to, to look at it a little bit differently, but it doesn't change the bottom line, which is we have to adhere to an international humanitarian law and the law of armed conflict. Uh, Jack, what in particular would you see as the role of artificial intelligence when it comes to nuclear weapons? Well, I've been pretty public and pretty clear on this one that a human needs to make the decision to release a uh, launch a nuclear weapon. Um, that's a that's actually well. Not only is it well accepted by other countries. Yeah, I've had discussions with representatives from Russia and China who said, "Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Why um, why would we want to have a have a." anybody but a human make a decision. It does get more complicated and we need to spend more time thinking about what are all the other um, things that might feed into that decision-making process that will have AI involved in them. That's where it's easy to lose sight of maybe five or six different systems that are AI-enabled feeding a human decision maker that may or may not know those things came from from AI. So it is a critical, and I mean this in, in, the, in the way that critical is really meant to be, which is this is one we can't afford to get wrong. Globally, we can't afford to get it wrong. Mike, could you talk a little bit about the impact using technology more effectively would have on the battlefield? Yeah, ab absolutely. And and if I could, just to build on Jack's comments, though, I, I, I think it's important. We have what we call inside the department, we called it the journey to trust. And the journey to trust was how do you actually now develop um, not just the technology, but the applications of technology, the training that operators will have for that technology, the integration of the technology into human systems where, you know, you are using the machines to help a human. How do you make sure that you actually are helping, for example, and that humans understand, you know, that, that, that integration environment? And so we, we went down the whole, the whole uh, ethical uh, reliability, testability uh, trail to make sure that we had the framework for exactly how we were going to do this for artificial intelligence. And I'm, I'm really proud of that work. I mean, Jack started, but, but we, you know, we, I, I think, have a really good position inside the Department of Defense. Uh, and what we originally called the journey to trust, we realized even that was inadequate because, uh, you know, humans, human operators, soldiers, sailors, Marines, they will trust the system if you give it to that system or give it to them. But what's more important is, do we trust that the systems that we're going to field 
will protect the humans, will will allow them to fight ethically, allow them to fight effectively. Like this is this is like a really important conversation inside of the Department of Defense. And it goes on to this day. And so, you know, just let me assure anybody who's listening to this. I mean, this is topic number one when we talk about artificial intelligence. Um, so, so, you know, so, so where does this go then for, uh, you know, uh, uh, human system, you know, human, human machine teaming, for example, like these are sort of the, the extrapolations of that, of that conversation now, like, like we fight ethically and, and we do that through process now, like we, you know, we make the process so that it's an ethical application. I think one artifact that's, that's a useful data point, we have an organization called the, um, Artificial Intelligence uh, uh, Partnership for Defense, AIPFD, we call it. Today, there are 16 nations that have that same ethical baseline, that same interest in reliable, responsible, ethical, governable um, uh, artificial intelligence that 16 nations have signed up to this club. And we get together uh, at least once a quarter and, and walk through and help each other with, hey, we just developed this new testing uh, artifact. Why don't you try that? You know, so it's a cooperative, uh, uh, integrative conversation about how do we all do things in a trusted and uh, 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 trust building way. So I'm a commander on the battlefield. Nuts and bolts. What difference would this make to what I'm doing? What would it give me? This is exactly the right question, Gene. This is, it's not about, hey, I should adopt this technology or I shouldn't. This is about, like, do you want to recognize uh, patterns in enemy activity? Yes, we do. Would you want to know if there was a deviation from that pattern and something new was happening? Yes, I would. Would you like to optimize the distribution of your medical evacuation capabilities, right? Like, like, do you, you know, if you anticipate an operation and there may be casualties, how do you optimize the distribution of medical resources to make sure that you can take care of young men and women who are in harm's way? Like, do, do you want to do that? Yes, we do, right? So, so, so there are literally thousands, maybe tens of thousands of these use cases where data on the battlefield today is just done over the radio and it's all combined in, you know, in one commander's head. We need to, we need to make the environment such that all of these cognitive aids that identify different layers of things that are happening in the battlefield are readily apparent to a commander. Uh, there's a fame, you know, famous picture. If you've ever seen a picture of like a joint operations center, you see rows and rows of, you know, young airmen and Marines and soldiers each one looking at a screen and each one typing chat notes, you know, in a chat, in a chat uh, environment um, associated with whatever, whatever they're looking at on that screen. Now imagine the commander who has hundreds of screens, you know, that he, that all these people are looking at and developing data. How does that commander actually make good decisions based on all of the data that's in that giant room? I will tell you today, it's a pickup process, right? With artificial intelligence, we'll be able to integrate some of those things so that you can have a dashboard, you can have an alert when something happens, you can have an, uh, an automated, um, you know, question pop up on the screen to say, "Hey, you know, is now the time that you want to do this?" Like, like.
commanders will be able to fight much more effectively from a command and controls uh, perspective. And then you extend that down to all the warfighting functions. You know, the, the, the missile, the missileers, like they will be able to make much better decisions about what weapon to use against what target, uh, you know, based on availability, based on the cost of the weapon, based on, is there anybody else that could prosecute this target? So like optimization of military application is now something that's available because you have all this data and it's presented to you in a workable way. It's really powerful. This really is transformation. Jack, what are we learning from the war in Ukraine? There are things that we're seeing in Ukraine that some of us for years have been predicting will come to pass, and we need to take those lessons and apply them elsewhere to include in the Indo-Pacific. First of all, the integration of sort of commercial industry and the government happening at incredible speeds. There's also this weird juxtaposition of, no kidding, trench warfare with cutting edge technology like drones, and then using drones, not by the tens, not by the hundreds, but by the thousands to be able to do things on the battlefield. And why is that? happening. One, they have to move very quickly and they're willing to take risks. They're very risk tolerant and they're bringing on a lot of people, including people who maybe have been born in Ukraine, went to Silicon Valley and are coming back and helping figuring out what this world needs to look like. And um, in SCSP report, on the defense report, it talks about software advantage, being able to update your software faster than your adversary's competitive advantage. That is precisely what we're seeing play out between Ukraine and Russia today. Ukraine is being uh, nimble, adaptable, willing to accept risks, doing things differently by integrating everything from air to some space capabilities, to cyber, to drones, to artillery on the ground. So it is a wake-up call, one, about the importance of drones that so far don't seem to be AI-enabled, with maybe a couple of exceptions, but mostly not. But just in general, how quickly you can and should move in a software-driven environment. It's not that hardware is no more relevant. It's just as relevant as ever. But the idea of AI-enabled capabilities put together in an entire battlefield environment should be giving us all sorts of signposts in this country about how to prepare for the next fight. Jack, you talked about the synergy between the military and, and um, business in Ukraine. In the U.S., is there the kind of synergy there can be, or in your opinion, should be, between academia, industry, and the military? It's better now than it was six years ago, but it still could be improved upon. And and, and to be quite frank, uh, a number of people that I've talked to in Silicon Valley, they see Ukraine as a little bit of a wake-up call saying, you know what, maybe we should be working a little bit closer together with uh, with the U.S. government and the Department of Defense. And you've seen, there, there are some companies that have been very, very forward-leaning in their statements saying, we're in, count us in. There are others that are a little bit more skeptical, but it is much better now than it was in the, in the Project Maven journey where we had the episode with, with Google that has all since been resolved. So it's better, but um, a lot of trust needs to continue to be built on all sides. And um, transparency is important as well. Why are you doing this? What are you doing with these capabilities? In the fear of autonomous weapon systems drives people to a place where they start from a position of, I would say, skepticism. So we need a lot more dialogue, but it's better. And, and I'm actually very encouraged uh, over the last year, a lot of it because of Ukraine. Mike, when you look at the international situation, Russia, I presume, is also learning a lot from Ukraine. Are they pouring a lot of money and effort into deploying cutting edge technologies? And what about China? So Russia, I think, struggles. Uh, they've got some brilliant, you know, uh, institutions, some brilliant people. 
But honestly, it takes resources, it takes time, it takes attention. So I don't know that they're they're how fast they're moving. Um, I do. Uh, China, on the other hand, is 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 going. They have the gas pedal to the floor, and this is something that I think we really have to pay keen attention to. You know, just just looking at the uh, yesterday, I was looking at the uh, twenty twenty four NDAA, the draft, and uh, if you look at um, you know the amount of our defense investment in AI, it's on the order of maybe two percent, and on if you look at the uh, uh, the Chinese equivalent, it's more than double that, at least. And you think about like uh, like the role of artificial intelligence in a closed, controlled society, right, where you are managing all of your people, where you are managing what they say, what they do, where they are, how they live, what jobs they do. Like you can imagine a command economy needs a command and control system. And so the Chinese you know, Communist Party is all about artificial intelligence as a domestic uh, opportunity, but also as a military opportunity, and um, I would, I would not, I, I would say the U.S. has the, you know, the most innovative, best academic base, the best science base, the technology base. However, the Chinese are very fast followers, and they have shown lots of innovation on their own. I, I wonder, you know, often in a military context, it's taken a Sputnik or it's taken a, uh, a Pearl Harbor for the really to energize the American people and the American Department of Defense. I hope that it doesn't take a Sputnik for us to see what the Chinese are able to do now and what we will have to be able to do. I mean, I mean, the time for us to, to think about tech adoption is past. The time for implementation is now because now is when we need to be competitive. I fear that lacking a Sputnik, we won't get that sense of urgency and we won't achieve the level of impl implementation that we require. Jack, what do you think about this call from some technologists, quite a number of technologists, to halt the development of certain forms of artificial intelligence, at least in the short term, until we really understand implications? Well, Gene, I don't think you'd be surprised to know I do not agree with that. And uh, there are some very smart people in the AI, AI legends like Jan LeCun, um, uh, who have said that, that you actually need to be doing more research and faster research to understand. Now, there have to be, as you, as you were getting at earlier, there have to be guardrails in place. We have to understand. We don't understand enough about the technology today to be able to make these predictions about what it looks like in five to 10 years. I don't think we know what it looks like in six months, never mind uh, a one year, five year, 10 year. So um, there's clearly concern. And, and the AI the sort of luminaries of the world have all come out and said, well, this is moving a little faster than even they expected. So there's right to be, be concerned, but I do not um, support saying we need to pause research. Because I tell you, our adversaries are not pausing. Um, so I, I don't think that's a that's a useful starting point. What I would would um, always recommend is do more research, move faster, but understand where the risks are. This is about risk tolerance and risk acceptance, and being almost to put in clay. I'll use a military term: indications and warnings. Have all these sensors out there, understanding as these technologies get developed, where are the risks in those technologies? Where can humans step in? with policies, maybe with regulations, maybe with self-regulation, maybe with government regulation. There's a lot of unknowns right now. So I am more in the, in the camp of um, let's, let's keep moving and let's be careful about what we're doing, but I don't recommend that we bring things to a halt. So Mike, you said 
the time is now. Obviously, it's not getting done now. Is there a date by which you think we really, really, really have to have implemented some of these changes? Here's the thing about artificial intelligence that everybody needs to understand. I'm talking about U.S. citizens here across the board. Artificial intelligence, it's in our phones. It sorts our mail. It farms our food. It navigates our traffic. It sets our insurance rates. You know, it adjusts our viewing patterns on our televisions. Artificial intelligence is integrated in every industry, every enterprise already. So the idea that somehow this is a new thing that's only being implemented in defense is, is incorrect. Artificial intelligence surround us every day. And this is part of the digital transformation that we will that we're underway for probably the next couple of decades. So the military is actually a slow follower of the commercial AI enterprise. And that's and that's that's okay from a you know from a resource from a you know conservative resource expenditure kind of perspective. But it's not okay when we look at the the fast moving military challenges that we have. It's really critical. I mean, and you know, if you don't believe me, uh, do you believe Microsoft, who just put um, I think eight point nine billion into AI just in the last quarter, or Google, who put six point nine billion of capital expenditure into their their AI, their AI development efforts? I mean, the majors. The commercial environment, they see money in this. They see effectiveness. They see huge markets. And so like the same opportunism that the commercial enterprises are using, I, we should have some of that same sort of enthusiasm inside the Department of Defense. Implement, implement, implement. I mean, the, the, it's the equivalent of sales, but the equivalent of sales and defense is the lives of young men and women who are wearing uniforms, right? And, and the and the resources that the American people commit to defense. Like, it's an obligation for us to, to, to actually embrace this capability and catch up with and leverage the, uh, the things that are being developed in the commercial space. Mike said it was going to take a Sputnik moment, perhaps. Uh, to get the U.S. to move on this, the U.S. military specifically. Do you agree with that, Ken? Or is there some other way to create this sense of urgency? It's a, it's, this is one of the most important questions that we've talked about just generally with SCSP is, or with the National Security Commission on AI. How do you take that uh, for the NSC on AI, the 750 plus page document and get the American public excited about it? What does it take? I think it's going to be multifaceted. It's an economic piece. What is it about? What's good for the United States of America economy? How do we bring jobs? It'll be different jobs. Um, some jobs may be displaced, but I think mostly as every technology in history has shown, you sort of repurpose people um, for different for different different technologies come along and, and you do things better and you do things differently and you gain productivity. On the defense side, there's a whole lot more to think about. But what I don't want to have happen, what I fear could happen, is we lose some conflict and say that was our wake up call. Um, so I think there's there's got to be. It starts with sort of the executive level, but of course the legislative branch plays an enormously important role here. And American people, we owe a lot more to the American people of what this means for every man and woman and, and child in the country of why AI is so important to the future, um, economic, national security, well-being, education, medical, all of that has to be put together. I think we're a long way from the Cold War where it was all about the military all the time. This is a much different situation where it's about the entire country can benefit from the application of these technologies to include, but not limited to the military. So I agree completely that um, it's, it's a little hard to explain when you look at the movie shot and say, in 10 years, 240,000 miles away, we will be there. 
And we did it. Here with AI, how do you explain that? That's the challenge because it's it's transparent. It's invisible to most people until they read about it or they actually experience it. And as Mike said, uh, it just becomes a piece of software in their phone and it just does what it does and people don't even think about it AI. So a lot of work that, that has to be done. SCSP is playing a, such a, a, a monumental role in helping educate the public on that. Thank you both for a great conversation. Thank you to Lieutenant General John Jack Shanahan and Lieutenant General Michael Gruen. And thanks to our audience for listening and hopefully learning. I'm Jean Meserve, and this has been NatSec Tech, a podcast from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I hope you'll join us again. Take care. <laughs>